What is up, everyone? We know the last thing you need is another fitness podcast to catch you up on the newest trends and fad diets based on popular opinion, not research. Enter myself and Tony. We made the Fitness Stuff podcast to make exercise and nutrition science practical. Our goal is to expose misinformation in the industry by providing only evidence-based education. For today, we are going to be talking about the differences in training and workouts between men and women. More specifically, hormonal differences between the sexes and how that impacts training. Differences between males and females when it comes to muscle building potential. Differences in muscle fiber types. How each sex responds to different training intensities and much more. And before we get started, make sure you go run over and check out our weekly research review. We drop every single Friday part of Fitness Stuff Premium. It's our Fitness Stuff Research Review, where we take very complicated, long, drawn-out research. can get a little boring sometimes, but we break it down into an easy-to-understand, digestible way that we apply into your everyday life so you can make specific changes to optimize how you're training, how you're eating, how you're living. The latest research surrounding nutrition and training for fat loss, gut health and digestion, sleep and recovery, supplementation, and so much more. Last week, we just dropped our research review diving deep into intermittent fasting in regards to certain body composition changes. This week, we're breaking down, which actually had quite a bit more research than I expected when pulling together a review, the popular supplement ashwagandha. And we're going to break that down this Friday. So make sure you go click on that in our show notes to be a part of it and not miss a single thing. Now, before we get into the episode, a quick shout out to our sponsor, Legion Athletics. We've been a big fan of them long before we partnered with them with the show, but we were so excited when that came to fruition because our companies had had such aligned visions since day one. Legion Athletics is one of the only supplement companies we recommend. And we don't only recommend them. We love Thorne. We love a few other evidence-based individuals, but Legion takes it a step further, right? They work with a specific scientific review board. So every article, podcast, video, supplement they produce is vetted by a team of MDs, PhDs, and other professionals in the field. They also have a part of their portions and proceeds Fund scientific research into nutrition, exercise, supplementation, and more just to advance our collective understanding of how to live fitter, healthier lives. So our ethics are pretty much on par. They even donate to Bill Campbell's research out at University of South Florida, who we had on an episode early on, which is phenomenal. I know I'm freaking addicted. I legitimately, the strawberry kiwi flavor of their creatine in their pre-workout Mm -hmm. I'm addicted. I'm so pumped that they made it into a creatine so I could taste that twice a day. That is my afternoon treat right now. If you're unfamiliar, strawberry kiwi. I'm not a big fan of those flavors in most things. Yeah. But a little creatine drink, a little pre-workout drink. Oh my God. That's my hook on to Legion in the first place. Actually, wasn't even their protein powder, which I think is rare, but it was their pre-workout because so many of the flavors, and it was strictly just like, I was trying new ones for flavors that didn't make me physically gag when I had to drink it because it was like a level of sweetness, but also gross. I can't really describe how a lot of them are. And then someone was like, oh, try a pre-workout from Legion. And it caused me to look more into the company as a whole. And I was like, oh, this is really awesome. Do you have a favorite flavor? I'd probably say strawberry kiwi as well. Strawberry kiwi is a freaking treat. It's only bad part about pre-workout is you can't just drink it for the flavor. Like at night, if you want a little treat, you can't just. <laughs> just no, because then you'll be workouts. up all night. That's where their protein powder comes in. That would be freaking terrible. So today we are coming at you. No, I'm not in an attic. I'm in a cabin up in Big Bear, setting change. 
Mariana in her new well-lit apartment over in Boston with the little pupper down low. Is he saying hello? Makes an appearance. He's like, mom, come on. <laughs> Y'all been filming too much today. No, today I'm freaking pumped because male versus tra- female training differences is a hot topic that I think hasn't been spoken about enough, in my opinion. There's a lot of different controversies in fitness. We know that from our podcast. Different dieting methods, different XYZ. Male versus female training, though, I think still has a lot of discrepancies. So we did a total review, and this one might, might, it might be longer, but I don't want to set the expectation wrong. There's a lot of things that I even learned putting this review together. And I think there's a lot that you guys are going to learn through it mm. as well. And I think it's an important note before we start today specifically, we are talking about sex differences, not gender, meaning XY and XX chromosomal differences and the physio- physiological differences between those two, right? Because we cannot deny there are physiological differences between them. And that's what we're specifically talking about today is how we should make those changes in training programs based on your goals. It's also an important note that when we talk about sex differences, we have to think of it as a bell curve with each quality that we're talking about today. And that when we say man or woman or male or female, we're not speaking about every single person in that category, Mm -hmm. right? It's not an umbrella. An easy example for this one would be estradiol or estrogen in this example, right? Generally, females dominate that hormone. They have significantly more, about six to nine times more estrogen compared to the average male, the average female does. But that doesn't mean that there's males that don't have more estrogen than females and vice versa in reverse. It's just that most females have more estrogen than most males. So when we're talking about these differences, and I think the differences will actually shock you in how little they might be, make sure to adjust based on your specific progress, some specific measures that we're gonna talk about today to pay attention to, Because if you try something new based on this episode, to know what to adjust on to see if it works for you as an individual, because everything should be based on an individual basis with your lifestyle, with your training, with everything. And this is no difference. Mm -hmm. This is just something that we want to really highlight across the board. Yeah. That's an important note to get started. Yeah. And I'm just going to reiterate again, even though the title says it, but this is specifically about training and structuring your workouts. It's there are so many topics that we could talk about underneath this, okay, differences between sexes, but just keep that in mind in the back of your head because there are so many doors we could open up, but we would go down so many rabbit holes in the context of training specifically. So I just want to reiterate that again. Yes, like specifically will... <laughs> yeah, specifically talking about training. <laughs> yeah, let's see how many times we want to be careful about what we say. Yeah. But we're over, we're in a cabin and we're in a nice little apartment. No one can touch us. Just kidding. We know that's not true on the internet. Now, <laughs> I took apart a few different reviews and a lot of different research when putting this together to get a lot of different takes. Now, one of my favorites, and I recommend everybody, Jeff Nippert has an incredible review. We're going to talk about different things, not even just as far as myths, but the differences in muscle building potential between males and females, strength differences, muscle structure differences, muscle distribution differences, hormonal differences, which is a big one. So many different things, but Jeff Nippard, I think truly said it best. And we have to always remember this practical training differences between men and women come down to slight variations and tweaks to an already sound fundamental training philosophy that is embedded in basic human physiology, not necessarily predicated on sex differences. So many stimulus that we talk about when we go through 
training, if it's mechanical tension, progressive overload, training intensities, these are based on human physiology, not male versus female most of the time. So I think that's a, a very way to put it out there, but we will talk about those nuances and the small adjustments in here. I think that's a big one. Now, I think we want to start by going over several myths when it comes to thinking about men and women training differently. Now, you and I have talked about this and probably have encountered this many times with working with clients. I'm guessing when you get a client on board, male or female, they might exaggerate some of these things coming in. What does your past training look like? What does your past exercise history look like? They might exaggerate some of these. And at least that's what I've seen quite a bit, especially I think more in females than males. Have you seen a difference in people coming in and where they might extrapolate different pieces of this? Just speaking as like a woman myself, like mm -hmm. there are very similar concerns when it comes to how your body should look just based off of shitty societal expectations and just a lack of understanding mm -hmm. what building muscle means. There's this relationship between oh, muscle Big. Yeah. We're debunking some of these thoughts, but I definitely see that a lot. And it comes down to your goals and what you want. And it's, again, there's some, there's going to be some men out there that maybe want to be smaller. There's going to be a lot of cross like similarities between goals, but for the majority of men and women, a lot of what you'll see is with women. It's okay. I don't want to be too bulky. Maybe I want to work more on my lower body, my yeah. glutes. I don't want my upper body to be too big. Men... Typically, it's like I want to be work on my chest, have the biggest skip arms. leg day. I want to get jacked. Skip I want leg my day. Freaking pythons, twenty-two yeah. inch arms. Yeah. A lot of differences in goals, and a lot, and especially a lot of misconceptions on how to get to those goals. I think the biggest yeah, one yeah. starting off, and this one, I think people down truly know, but then when you see it in their training programs, it doesn't reflect. The biggest one being that weights make women bulky. Just like you said, there's this connotation of muscle equals bulky or muscle equals big. Mm -hmm. right? I think there's, if there really is one misconception that causes more harm to women's physique and health than any other, it's this one. It's almost instilling like a fear of lifting weights, especially lifting heavier weights, which we've talked about in this podcast so many times before the massive benefits that you can see from a metabolic standpoint, from a longevity standpoint, from so many other metrics than just how you look. Mm. that strength training really does provide. Now, it makes sense though, right? This fear comes and can stem from, I think, certain female physiques that make up less than, and I made this number up, this is arbitrary, but of certain physiques that make up probably less than 0.1% of the female population. The physiques that you might see online, not in person, of female bodybuilders who, congratulations to them, that is a very challenging feat to become that muscular <laughs> and that defined in that sense, or maybe some certain CrossFit athletes, but you have to take into account those physiques take elite muscle building genetics and years, if not decades of specifically concerted effort into their gym training, nutrition programming to look like that. And a lot of the time anabolic steroids are involved. That's mm -hmm. something that I do want and do not want to go across so many times, especially in female bodybuilding, not saying there are people who don't or do, but a lot of the times, if you see a physique of Hulk like I know there's a lot of people that go for it. One, this is something that that person has been specifically training for, for likely decades. This is not going to just happen by accident, by going to the gym and picking up some weights. And then yeah. two, just that's how the world works is anabolic steroids. A lot of the times 
are involved. You don't get a physique like that, especially female physique without them a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think that's important to note. Something that I do see that I feel like isn't talked about as much is the opposite end of people who haven't weightlifted before and think that just going to the gym and starting to resistance train is going to make them lose weight. Like that's really all they focus on and don't focus on nutrition. A lot of like, especially women I see like who have done that in the past and haven't focused at all on nutrition and maybe just be eating at maintenance or a little bit in a surplus. They don't know. You may see yourself get a little bit quote unquote bulkier if you are actively resistance training, putting on muscle, but you're also in a slight surplus because you're not really paying attention to your calories and you're putting on more muscle, you're more hungry, like you're working out. So you're eating a little bit more, not paying any attention to your nutrition at all. I do see that. And I feel like that's like a common, what a lot of women will experience and then have this fear of weightlifting again. Yeah. Put the blame on weightlifting, not necessarily the diet piece, which is obviously so important, which again, though, it's not anyone's fault. Cause if you haven't been weight training and you start weight training and you might start eating more food and you do gain weight in a way that you don't want to, you might say, Oh, well, before I wasn't weight training, I'm not going to weight train anymore without Mm -hmm. looking at the dietary piece, which is going to cause that in the first place. Yeah. Now. And I think that this is just fact that we notice working with clients muscle is needed for a leaner, more defined aesthetic that a lot of women aim for. That lean, that defined, that quote unquote tone that people talk about, you don't get that without meaningful muscle mass. And it takes a long time to build. And I think the best example of this that Jeff Nippert even pointed to, go look at the hashtag girls who lift on Instagram, girls in the gym. There's going to be over 30 million examples of that leaner defined look that I think a lot of people don't really associate with lifting weights. Mm-hmm. 30 million examples if you want to go ahead and check that. And I think the big thing that you just mentioned too is building muscle takes time. A lot of like a lot of time. Ask any male or female that has significant muscle in the gym how long they've been working out. And I can promise you they're going to be saying at least five to 10 years plus, at least. Mm-hmm. So weight training for the next three to six months, even if you did the absolute most, you're not going to look significantly different from a muscular standpoint in just three to six months. You just can't put on significant muscle mass in that time. Yeah, It's like being afraid. I know this example gets used a lot. It's like being afraid to pick up a football because you might turn into Tom Brady Mm -hmm. or being afraid to drive a car because you might turn into a professional NASCAR driver. It's an irrational fear that just, once you lay it out like that, just makes no sense. So I think that's the first one that I wanted to go over is especially geared towards females. Weights and weight training in particular are very important. Now, the next point, which is going to build us into this first stem of differences is another myth where a lot of people just think that women have a poor potential to build muscle in general. Okay. That's a myth. They really do have great potential. And we're going to talk about relatively to men, very similar. And that's where we're going to start today in the differences. It's important to listen to verbiage here. There's a difference between total muscle building potential and relative muscle building potential, total and relative. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, It's well noted that muscle building for females is generally about 50% that of men's. We covered this when we were talking about what episode were we talking about when we covered newbie gains or essentially how much muscle you can expect to gain in the first year versus the second year versus the third year of weight training. Most men can expect naturally to build around 40 to 50 pounds of pure muscle, not just lean body mass, but pure contracting muscle tissue in their lifetime, 40 to 50 pounds where most females 
can naturally expect to gain about 20 to 25. And again, like we talked about at the beginning, there's going to be females who can build significantly more and significantly less. And there's yes. males who can build significantly more and significantly less. And anabolic steroids do increase those proportions because it allows you to go outside of a natural potential. So that's important to notice. But again, that is total muscle building potential. Women have about 50% of. Now, here's actually a very interesting piece that I dove very deep into when putting together this review that I don't think people talk about. Have you heard the frame size model talked about too much? No. Not I would all, think no. of many places at all I've heard it. Correct me if I'm wrong, if this is a completely different thing, but genetically, oh, my body just can't look like that. Genetically, I'm built thicker or I'm broad mm -hmm. or I don't put on muscle. That's what I'll hear. Yeah. I won't really hear about this. So that's what you hear. And there's actually some truth to that. I think sometimes it's covered up, but here's what the frame size model is and why men and women's muscle building potential total is different, but relative is very similar. Meaning relative muscle building potential is very similar is because generally men and women start at different points. They have different starting points. Women genetically start out with much less muscle and much more body fat and a much smaller frame than men on average. We just know this. Those are some of the genetic differences is women starting out just don't have as much muscle and tend to carry much more fat. That's why if we look at, and we've talked about healthy body fat percentages in males versus females, females is generally higher. That's just how they store body fat. Now, the frame size theory came from Dr. Casey Butt my favorite researcher's name, Casey Butt, B-U-T-T. And we're actually going to link in the show notes a calculator where you can find this out, but it's astonishingly accurate that you can find near identical to your genetic muscle building potential, your natural genetic muscle building potential as an individual by simply looking at the size of your skeleton, the size of your skeleton. And this calculator is extremely accurate by simply taking measurements of your wrists and ankles. That's it. You can get about 99, 90 to 95% accuracy in how much like natural muscle building potential you have as an individual by taking measurements here. And we're going to put that calculator down below because this, it blew my mind how accurate it truly was. Now, this theory came from Dr. Casey Butt when looking at your total skeleton size. Now, there's some research done out of Argentina from Francis Hallway, and they found that about each kilogram of bone or 2.2 pounds of bone supports a maximum of five kilograms or 11 pounds of muscle, right? So the size of your skeleton, the size of your structure in your frame can only support so much muscle at a max. And this is astonishingly accurate as far as genetic potentials. Now, males start with larger frames, broader shoulders. On average, again, mm -hmm. on average, there are females with larger frames than males. It all comes down to the individual basis. But when we're talking about big differences, for muscle building potential, this is a big one that goes overlooked that no one talks about. And the funny part is we're going to talk about this later is people usually just chalk it up to men have more testosterone and women don't. And that's why they can build more muscle. They hardly ever look at the fact that they just don't have the frame to support that much muscle naturally. Mm -hmm. And that's typically where the limitations come from. So when we're talking again about the same relative growth potential, this is what still people are confused by. And let's just say these are arbitrary numbers. Let's say a woman starts with 40 pounds of skeletal muscle and a male starts with 80 pounds of skeletal muscle. So about two times as much. 
they can both increase their muscle mass about 10% in about the same time frame. They can both see 10% increases, which is relative. But total, what's a 10% increase on 40 pounds that the female had? Four total pounds, right? 10% higher than 40 is four. 10% higher than 80 is eight. So the male in this scenario gained twice as much total muscle, but they gained the same relative muscle. And I think that's important to notice is women can actually build at a very similar rate to males, the same relative muscle mass and the same relative gains when speaking. And this is something that I don't think people talk about and they don't truly understand. This is what I love to dive into. And I wanted to put this one up front is because people generally just chalk it up to the testosterone, which we're going to learn hormonal differences. Females actually have some that favor certain specific styles of training and recovery as well. Yeah. So that's where I wanted to start. This one is the differences there because I really can't think of too many people who talk about this on a really, like a regular basis. No. Do and you see this right in sport a lot. This is the reason why you may see some differences in sports. An example being professional high diving, cliff diving, men mm -hmm. jump from a higher height than women. And this is because when this first started, the sport started, they jumped from the same height but women were having significantly more injuries, particularly in their hip area, lower body. And the, so they changed that. Now women jump lower not to decrease their risk of injury. But this is in the basis of men have higher bone density. They have more muscle mass mm -hmm. So versus women and how their bodies are set and shaped. They, it's be, that's why they cannot jump from the same height. They don't have as much protection and they yeah. never will have as much protection. It doesn't have anything to do with their ability, their skill level. It is just that adjustment to account for differences in their physiology. If you'll see that in, in sports in a lot of places. It's interesting to look at when it comes down to it, yeah. especially just the difference in frame and size in general. I wanted to start out for big differences between muscle building potential. That's important to know. So generally speaking, Men have a greater total muscle building potential than women, but relatively it's about the same on averages. But again, we're going to put that in the show notes, the calculator, if you really want to find out your natural muscle building potential, which I think is always fun. And it's always fun because even people who have been lifting for many years, I realize once they do this calculation, realize that they haven't reached their potential yet. And it gives them room to drive and to push for more, which mm -hmm. I think is very cool. Now, after muscle building potential, I think comes strength differences. I know a lot of the time people just attribute that men are stronger than women on a relative basis and really strength differences. And I think this is big. Isn't really mainly between men and women or male and female strength differences are almost entirely attributed to total muscle mass in general. So males having more muscle mass means they're generally stronger. But if you take a female with the same exact muscle mass as a male, they're likely to be equally as strong. And I think that's important to note. It's not like muscle type is going to be different in that manner. It, muscle for muscle, pound for pound, strength differences don't really exist. It's just in totals. We're not talking relative there. So there are differences in strength. There are differences in potential. And that's what we're highlighting here, but relatively not so much. Mm -hmm. Now, when we go into the next few, before we get into hormones a little bit, we're going to talk about different muscle structure differences. Now, as a, a very brief level one intro, we have, we're going to say mainly two different muscle fiber types, type one, the slow twitch, 
better suited for endurance tasks, higher volume. And type two, fast twitch, better suited for power, strength tasks, more quick, more explosive. Now there's conflicting research, and I think this is more based on the individual, on whether or not men and women have different percentages of these muscle fiber types that make up their muscle. It's known that in different muscles throughout your body, you typically have different levels. Okay. Now, research out of Marquette University, and we'll start and put the studies in the show notes. That'll be fun because we linked it here too. Show that women on average do have a higher, greater proportional area of type one muscle fibers, although men generally have larger muscle fibers in each mm -hmm. type. Now, these differences are small, but what we're going to notice, and especially we're going to dive deeper into this into recovery potential, but this will aid in an edge to who might benefit from generally more volume, more sets, more reps, less recovery later on. So we're going to talk about that in recovery potential when we talk about this. Now, generally because of this later on, women can handle those higher volume workouts, those higher rep loads, those higher sets, those higher, I guess, recovery, where recovery is a little bit higher needed. Generally, they can handle that a little bit better than men when men generally thrive on the more explosive, powerful moments than women. And there's a few different pieces of research that I wanted to pull out. Now, one was out of the University of Limerick in Ireland, which I now know I'm Irish. I've thought my whole life I'm Italian. <laughs> my whole entire life, I thought I was Italian. I tell people I'm Italian. I eat spaghetti and meatballs when I go home, homemade. I'm proud of my heritage until I take a freaking 23 and meat test and figure out I'm like freaking 8% Italian and I'm like half Irish. So I'm a good old Irish boy now. I'm a good old Irish boy now. Uh, no. So this was done at the University of Limerick in Ireland. And it showed that men recovered faster in, when training protocols were set to five sets of five repetitions. So recovery potential, men recovered better in this scenario when we were talking more about strength dominant movements, five sets by five, right? Five would be considered in that strength repetition range. Mm. Now, research out of Finland showed that women recovered better and faster than men when training at 20 sets of their one repetition max and 10 sets of their 10 repetition max, or sorry, not 10 repetition max, training at their 70% of their one repetition max. But essentially women had the edge on training recovery when they did 20 total sets of their one rep max or 10 by 10, 10 sets of 10 reps. So when the volume was much, much higher, women recovered better and faster where when sets and reps were lower, men typically had that edge. Now, when we took it over to sprinting, right? Research published in the Journal of Sports Medicine and Physical Fitness found that women recover more quickly during same day sprint trials, but there was no difference in men or women recovering between the days themselves. They spread these sprints out throughout the day and then day by day. Mm -hmm. And on a day-to-day -day basis, there was no difference, but same day women had a distinct edge. And this is where we're going to start to look at different training variables that women might want to explore more because this is pretty big. If you ask me yeah. for the most part, right? This is not just men and women should just train the exact same, but there are nuances here that we're starting to come out. Is I, this something that you were familiar with before? Well, no, no, my question, I don't even know if you could answer this, but I'm curious to see, especially from this sprinting perspective, if that is different based off of geographic location. So when you think about like, there are sprinters and when you think about Olympic sprinters doing a 55 meter dash, you'll see a lot of them, some of the best, both men and women coming from Brazil. And mm -hmm. that 
has a, a large basis to do with breeding. And over time, the majority yeah. of people living in this location have a higher percentage of this type of muscle fiber. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people don't talk about that much. Um, but I do wonder if that changes based off of geographic location. I would honestly bet so just because of we know that certain genetics and genetic components give certain individuals edges in, in different yeah. kind of styles of training. Yeah. And again, that probably speaks because I would wonder too, then if we take that specific geographical location and we separated males and females, if we would still notice the same differences in that same geographical location. Yeah. yeah. And then if we separated, let's say females from one who might have an edge and males who might not, yeah. that would be an interesting kind of look into it as well. But these were all from smaller scale studies yeah, for sure. And they're all from the same geographical location is what it looked mm -hmm. like, but that would be really interesting to kind of dive deeper into. Yeah. But this is, again, one of those things where before I didn't know the specifics. And I think if you hear this, and I want you to wait because in the end, we're going to specifically say where you might want to experiment with these. Mm -hmm. The genetic component is big because you listening to this, male or female, let's say female, might say, oh, well, that means I should be training at higher reps, higher sets, and potentially even more frequently through the week based of what we're saying here. But that's why it's important to listen to how you respond to different styles of training in general because some men, based on their genetics, might respond better to high volume training than they do low. And some yeah. women, the same. But mm -hmm. it's pretty interesting across the board. Now, when we look at muscle distribution, and this is going to go into when we talk about goals later, research done of Queen's University in Ontario, in Canada, shows that the average women carry more muscle mass in their lower bodies proportionately compared to men. And what was interesting in this, because men will carry a larger proportion in their upper body, is we're talking about frame sizes. I didn't even realize this when you were talking about the divers and just with women naturally having larger hips and different yeah. angles with their hips. That makes so much more sense of if your bone, how much skeletal mass you have determines how much muscle you can support. Yep. If women generally have a larger proportional density in their lower body, that would make more sense that they carry more muscle there. Now, when we're talking about training and why you see so many differences in the idea, like the men skip leg day, like the, oh, you're the guy that skips leg day. <laughs> I've never heard the girl that skips leg day. I've never heard that, but people like what they're good at, mm -hmm. right? That's not common, especially like you and I know when we set out and build different training programs. And I think so many new coaches really should understand this. There's technically what's optimal from an objective standpoint, but what we know is optimal is okay. If you write a, a training program for someone that they thoroughly enjoy. You give them things that they are good at. If someone has strong legs and you give them areas and exercises and movements and rep ranges to thrive where they are already strong, how much more intensity and excitement are they going to bring into their training program? Yeah. Where if you give them something where they're underdeveloped, they're not good. And obviously that's a place to build. But if you make that the focus, while it might be objectively optimal, I can just tell you this right off the bat. When I went through some right knee issues, I just really didn't love leg days. And mm -hmm. I still scheduled myself two lower body days at the gym a week. My intensity brought into those exercises was significantly lower than oh, my yeah. upper body workouts mm -hmm. for that much time. Yeah, yeah. My upper body, I had surgery on my labrum and my shoulder. One, I was so weak and also it was so difficult and mundane for the basics. Like what I had to go through to be able to do a push up and a pull up again was just so boring and long and I hated it. 
So I trickle it into my programs and where I could. Yeah. It's not fun. And there's also that attachment of, especially when you do know, like, for mobility purposes and to prevent like muscle imbalances, injury Mm. that you may not like, say, training your shoulders, but you have to do it. Like sometimes that mindset, like again, the general working out thing shouldn't feel overall like a have to, but some Mm -hmm. workouts, like parts of your body, sometimes it feels like, oh, I just gotta have to do this. And so- Yeah, we're you not want that to be the center. <laughs> yeah, this is not saying that. Yeah, this is not saying, oh, if you don't like something, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I really went through a lot of uh, Ben Patrick's knees over toes rehab and learned a lot for oh, building awesome. knees. He's phenomenal. He'd be a great guest one day. Even though my knee health is incredible now, I still just don't enjoy lower body workouts nearly as much as upper body. Right now, my current training routine is four days per week. I was doing two upper, two lower body. I just have so much more fun and enjoy upper body movements where instead of doing that, I just made a small tweak to my programming where instead of doing an upper, lower, upper, lower, I now do an upper, lower, upper full body workout Mm -hmm. where I'll still hit deadlifts in my full body and several other leg movements, but I sprinkle in some things that I like. And I think that's a good tactic for people where if you want to bring more intensity into a certain body part, right? For men, if you hate training legs or women, if you hate training upper body or vice versa, sprinkle things in and no, you don't have to have strict upper or lower body days or strict arm days. If you hate arms, sprinkle them in with the things you enjoy and watch how much more development you get there because you're bringing more intensity because you're like, Oh, do I love doing squats? Do I love doing shoulder press? No, but I do what I love next. Right. And like in three, four sets, I think that's Mm -hmm. a huge note to take into it. Yeah. Yeah. People like what they're good at. Now this can be a fun one. Hormonal differences, because this is where I think not even on a relative base, this is where males and females are different, very much yeah. so. And I want to start by saying, I'm going to mention several benefits that different hormones have when speaking about men and women. Testosterone, estrogen are big ones. But when speaking about hormones, it's very important to recognize more does not equal better. For example, we're going to talk about estrogen and several effects that that has. That doesn't mean men and women should both try to increase their estrogen as much as possible. No. Same thing with testosterone. Same things. And I think another one, I was just talking about this on social media the other day with cortisol being one of those games where, because ashwagandha is what we're going to do our research review on. Ashwagandha is well-documented to suppress cortisol and to lower cortisol levels. Cortisol has very important functions as well in yeah. regulating blood pressure, in regulating glucose metabolism, in so many things. We're constantly cortisol helps you get like an acute bout of cortisol can help you get shit done. Like exactly. Yeah. So constantly suppressing something like that is not always a good thing. It hardly is ever a good thing. And you should be optimizing to balance hormones and balance things like this instead of just eliminate or instead of maximize a lot of the time. And the endocrine system is extremely interdependent. And this is just another side note as well. I've worked with endocrinologists for close to 10 10 years now since I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I had to meet with one every three months since then, right? Those are the rules. I've had some bad ones, but I've luckily found some good ones. But the endocrine system is extremely interdependent, meaning if you just simply increase hormone X, it's likely going to impact one or many others in sometimes unpredictable ways. Mm. So just simply increasing or decreasing something is not always a good thing. Like for example, I know for a lot of men, I was talking to Shane Hanner about this, the guest we had on for breathwork. He had elevated levels of sex hormone binding 
globulin. And that sometimes binds to free testosterone and is a reason why free testosterone can be lowered. But just simply lowering SHGB, I might've gotten those numbers, <laughs> let's mix around saying it fast. Lowering that might elevate this, but it might also throw off vitamin D levels. It might throw off certain other levels. So just messing around with one hormone, this should not be something that you just do yeah. without the help of an endocrinologist specialized in that field and why blood testing and working with a specialist is so important. I know Mariana and I are working with Merrick Health going through this, which is super exciting yeah. uh, and hopefully have some more news with them soon. But getting blood testing done, especially for hormones, are so important. Now, before we get into this, I think one more note too, hormone levels and reference ranges, when you do get them done, it's important to work with a specialist to help break that down for you. Yeah. And just an easy example, men and testosterone, I think the reference range is as low as 300 upwards of 900, 950 for a normal reference range where men with 700 on that scale, nanograms per deciliter, might feel symptoms of low testosterone where individuals sometimes at 400 nanograms per deciliter feel great. They feel no symptoms. Mm -hmm. So how you feel is going to be extremely individual. And I think that's, I just, I know that was a super long caveat, but it's very important to note because hormones are not something simple. And that's why I really, really dislike people without an endocrinology background speaking so simply about hormones on social media, on things oh, like yeah. this. Oh, just here's things that are crashing your testosterone. Here's things that are doing this and how to boost your testosterone more than HRT, it's like, stop. You don't know what you're talking about and it can be damaging sometimes. And also just from <clears throat> like, when it, understanding like women, understanding your hormone levels at certain points of your cycle and how that can impact energy fatigue, like during training is can also be really helpful. And especially yeah. if you will not, aren't within the bounds of like the levels that you should be okay, this is another level to consider with a specialist, but that is something that can really hinder some people's progress. Some women's progress in the gym is some people may be much more affected by significant drops in certain hormones from an yeah. energy standpoint and aren't accommodating for that and still overexerting themselves. So it's just yeah. something I wanted to add in. Yeah. And we're going to wrap up after we talk about testosterone and estrogen specifically, we are going to mention some specific review, specifically training differences throughout your menstrual cycle, mm -hmm. which would yeah. be pretty fun to look into. Now, and I think just some wonderful research out of Rome, Italy, my own home, my, ugh, that hurts. Every time there. I say Italy, <laughs> I want to go there. Is that the trending sound? I want to go there. <laughs> I want to go there. Take me there. <laughs> but they wonderfully put it like this, right? Generally, males and females have the same hormones, i.e. estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but their production sites, their blood concentrations, and their interactions with different organs, systems, and apparatus are different. Hmm. Now, on average, men carry roughly about 15 times more testosterone than women. And this is where I think most people attribute the muscle building potential to. At least when I hear most coaches talk about it, because I think the biggest thing that when I hear a female give the worry to a coach of, I'm just scared to gain too much muscle. I'm scared to get bulky, which is a legitimate concern. Like we talked yeah. about a coach easily just brushes it over. What's like, you don't have testosterone, so you can't build muscle. <laughs> you can't really build that much muscle. And it's just a lazy answer. It's swept yeah. under the rug. It's not a limiting factor. And although yes. Benefits that come with higher testosterone, especially in male. And again, there's different interactions in testosterone with male and females. There's typically better fat distribution, greater red blood cell production, which is a big delivery system of oxygen to the muscle and in training, increased strengths, helping prevent the breakdown of muscle, building and recovering from training, 
specifically is where that comes from. And another big on the reverse is that people forget about females carry about nine times more estrogen than males, nine times more estrogen. Tell me about this. I want to get your perspective on this because I was talking about it with the cortisol thing, right? Mm -hmm. People say, oh, well, cortisol is the stress hormone. Therefore, it's bad. I think a lot of the time people just label estrogen as a negative thing. Um, Would you agree? What yeah, do you see you from your standpoint? The conversation of like, don't eat soy. It will increase your estrogen levels. Yeah. That is a perfect example. That's a weird thing to, to assume that because soy contains the same precursor to estrogen, that it's going to have the same effect as estrogen in the human body. That's just strange. Anyway, but thinking that there is this fear of even having the baseline of estrogen, it is weird how that has come to be. And especially at more, I think for men, right? Like it's like, Oh, big time. Men, men think estrogen is like, you are going to turn into a female yeah. is what the narrative is, which, and if you look at this and get regular blood work done too low level of estrogens in males, you're going to see a lot of negative health effect from that. A lot yeah. of negatives in your health that show up from that. Now, the benefits that come along with the elevated and higher estrogen levels. And this is also different. Again, I know we said this probably a hundred times through the episode, but especially pre and post menopause, you see a big difference in estrogen levels. And especially we're going to talk about during different points in the menstrual cycle next, but having a little bit more estrogen and what the rewards they could reap from that, it has the potential to protect muscle membranes from exercise induced muscle damage, which means that women, I think this is where some of that research could have done is a really cool test if they tested blood and ran some blood panels. Women can generally train longer and recover from sets quicker because of this. Estrogen plays a large role because of it. It's also been shown to play a significant role in stimulating muscle repair and regenerative processes. Meaning again, women might generally have better recovery profiles for men. They can handle more sets, more reps, more workouts per week, potentially. And I do want to put this as a caveat because I think people ask, and I answered this on a, a Q and a, last week, as far as how many rest days do I need per week or how much, how many sets per workout do I need? We got to realize everyone's recovery profile is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Some individuals might be able to recover very well from five or six training days a week with higher volumes. Others like myself, I've learned I can't recover past four days per week at a high intensity, or I start noticing that I'm just not recovering optimally as well. Everyone's different. And that should be taken into account. And we'll wrap that up here in, in the end. Mm -hmm. Estrogen also has a massive role in preventing muscle breakdown, right? Also has the potential to lower fasting glucose and insulin levels along with other metabolic health metrics as well. So more estrogen in females, more testosterone in males doesn't automatically mean, oh, men can build more muscle, women can't. There's a lot of different effects that both of these roles play. Now, when talking about specifically female training through menstrual cycles, I've had some women even like DM me on Instagram when I talk about different training saying that you need to train like this example, when it is the week of your period, you need to train differently in these different phases, right? The follicular, the luteal, I might even be saying those completely wrong, <laughs> no, but you good. need to be training a certain type of way. And I think this is what I've noticed through working with clients over 10 years. What I learned reviewing a lot of different coaches in this industry when talking about it as well, that are very much pay attention. Yes, levels of estrogen, progesterone, and luteinizing hormone fluctuate massively. That's not an understatement. Massively during different periods of the menstrual cycles, but how they respond and how they feel 
is very individual from what I've noticed where some women feel stronger during their cycles. Others feel completely fatigued, completely low energy, can barely drag it out where that might be a good deload week for them. Some people feel stronger for more, feel more energetic, feel more PR driven during peak fertility during their cycles. I think that is during, what word is that? Peak fertility. Is that in follicular or luteal? When they're ovulating? When is, during... that, is it a phase? Is that just ovulation? The thing is, some women feel much weaker or stronger during different periods. And it's highly individual. And this is why I think the individual approach is so much different. Mm -hmm. If someone tells you, you need to be lifting less weight, less volume, less sets, less reps on your period during that phase of your cycle, but you feel great, don't listen to them. You don't have to. Everything is so individual, especially with how hormones impact everyone differently. Go off of how you feel. If you do yeah. feel extreme fatigue, I've had to work with women before too, where they do feel extreme fatigue. That is a perfect time in your cycle to lower training volume, lower intensity, work on more form building, efficient building movements, take a little deload and change your training up based on that. The majority of women will see dips in energy right before menstruation. So mm -hmm. because that is a time where progesterone, estrogen, luteinizing hormone, they all drop significantly. So this is yeah. where you get the MS symptoms, but lar the biggest effect that the, that significant drop in hormones does is affect your energy levels. So yeah. the degree to which women experience that is it can be is extremely different. It is so yeah. varied. And so that's why I'm really happy they pointed it out. There is this generalization that a lot of yeah. coaches use. And it's like, no, like you have to consider that some women ha have irregular cycles and ha their hormones yeah. are not balanced. And so these dips, these peaks and these lows are so much greater than the next person. Mm -hmm. But generally as a whole, that is where you would see the most fatigue mm. during that period is when you get those significant drops. That's another thing I think we don't like people don't talk about too much is people just chalk up the hormonal differences in males versus females as men have more testosterone, women have more estrogen. It's also that men's hormones don't fluctuate nearly as much throughout the course of a month. Oh my God. Yeah. Not nearly as much, which is almost a bigger difference. Training differences are going to be more based on the individual, not if you're a male or if you're a female. We're going to tell you what to pay attention to and when to know to make those differences, which yeah. is huge. Because just like you said, like that's probably a peak week where most women would feel the increase in fatigue, all these things. Yeah. If that's you, adjust for that. If it's yeah. not, don't feel like you got to be squeezed in there. Now, a large piece of this moving on between difference is just an average. We've sprinkled it in here this episode. The difference between goals in men and women are typically different. For I think the biggest one. If you took a poll for most men in the gym and say, what are your goals? And same thing with women. I think on average, more men would say they want to get bigger. They want to get bigger. They want to have more muscle. Women, I think would answer a little bit more on averages as I want to get leaner or smaller overall. That's a big difference. That's again, not saying that you should train different based on sex. That should be trained different based on your goal. Yeah. If you're trying to get leaner and more defined, you're probably going to see a difference in diet, number one eating in a calorie deficit, higher protein, still going to be weight training heavy. And if you're trying to get bigger, again, that's probably more coming down to differences in your diet. Weight training, like Bill Campbell said, should be more like a heartbeat, something that's consistent, goes year round. And we're going to talk about the physiological human 
training metrics that you want to be paying attention to, but your weight training shouldn't be shifting all too much. It should be more goal driven. If you mm -hmm. want a bigger bench press, if you want a bigger chest, if you want to get bigger and stronger, training and diet should reflect that. Not saying male or female. If you want to get smaller, leaner, more cut, more endurance, your training should reflect that. Not if you're a man, you should train like this, or if you're a woman, you should train like this. So obviously the amount of your programming dedicated to your goals matter. And I think this is a big one too, where you see if, we, if you do like a male or female training program, or if you look at two random clients is if one person really has overall goals of, let's say, increasing or getting leaner, building muscle, whatever it is, but they really want to focus on their glutes. And then someone else really wants to focus on their shoulder development. You're probably going to put a little bit more volume on that given muscle group in that individual's training program because they want to emphasize that part of their body. Yeah. That's not because of who they are, what gender they are. That's because of <laughs> what they actually want. I think that should go without saying, but I don't think people talk about that enough. No, no. You know what I'm saying? Like how many, and this is me, I just did a lot of field research when starting online training. If you just go buy a women's program, like a copy and paste women's training program, which a lot of, this is sad to say, but one-on-one -on -one coaches do still today is they just put all people coming in on one program. Oh, female coming in, throw it here. You're going to notice like five leg days a week. Five? With a couple of sprinkles. I've had clients doing five leg days a week coming in and it's a little bit just mind wracking. Mm. Same thing though. If you buy more general, like a male training program pre-written, it's probably going to have more bench press, more mm. over overhead press, less isolated leg of glute work, which is funny because it's like people just automatically assume, oh, you're a man, you're a woman, you should train like this. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to go through today. Oh my God. And I just think about personally how little I think about that when I'm designing a program. I just think about mm -hmm. your goals and that's why we've been able to make some, and you can make some generalizations in terms of just what you've seen and what is common between sexes, but it's not even a thought in my head in terms of, oh, I have to design and structure this and completely change how I am going to set up their intensity so based off of your goal yeah. and where your starting point, your level of experience. Yeah. For all the coaches listening to, and especially new coaches and programming for this, take that into account as every single individual client you work with, you should be designing and making changes based on exactly that person, yeah. not anything else, exactly on that person, how they're responding to training. And for example, I'll take a female who's been responding very well to high volume training. I might experiment by increasing their volume much more because they've been responding so well in the past, not because it's specifically a female, because they've been responding to higher volume training in the past. So I think to note on this, like we said that males and females might have a different recovery potential and females might be able to handle more training volume and more training days per week. Male or female, you should always be experimenting going through different training blocks, training phases, and notice how you're individually progressing. And that's why it's so important to measure and monitor your progress during training. And especially as you make changes to your training, if you've always trained in that eight to 12 rep range in one specific way, and you start sprinkling in some higher volume, 15 to 20 reps, take progress pictures on a weekly basis, start measuring your weight, start taking measurements, see if you're noticing more change in a certain volume range or a certain frequency or with certain reps, rest days and adjust based on that. If you see better progress in one area, maybe it's worth diving deeper in there. I want to end on this, the basic drivers of muscle growth, no matter the sex, right? We sprinkled them before 
Mechanical tension in progressive overload drives muscle growth, period. Mechanical tension in progressive overload, and there's several other, but that is the main driver in muscle growth, period. doesn't matter who you are. Your training intensity, aka how close you're training to failure, the weight that you're using close to failure, is still consistent if you're male versus female. You should be training to progressive overload. You should be training at a high intensity within three repetitions of failure. No matter who you are, these are the things that really, really matter. And how you individually respond to higher or lower volume training, how many rest days you have per week, your specific goals and how you're progressing, that's what you need to be paying attention to. Not, I'm a male, I'm a female, I should be training like X, Y, or Z. Okay, so that's what I'm getting at. Is there anything that you want to highlight in male versus training differences that we didn't cover today? I just think that even though we've talked a lot about certain similarities and what we see in men versus women in terms of their goals, there's no right goal. Even if you are a man right now and you're like, I'm really trying to grow my glutes. That shouldn't be something that you think of as like, that's why we wanted to specify so clearly between we're talking about sex differences. We're not talking about gender because that conversation of gender is not one, our place to talk about. And it's so different, but it allows you just remove these like societal expectations of like, oh, I can't do this because that might be something that girls, women want to do. Like, so even though there are similarities, like you still have the potential like men, you still have the potential to have like grow your glutes and grow your legs. Let go of your guard of thinking that you can't want that to be a goal. Seriously for women. Yeah. Yes. Male, like male, female, or even just on an individual basis. What were we talking about this last week? I forget when it was, but the idea of you need to be training to get shredded or to have a six pack or to train in any specific goal, Mm -hmm. train how you want to, but align with your values. That was a perfect note. Yeah. to put in there. Cause that's so, so freaking true. So mm-hmm. hopefully that gave you a little bit more insight. I'm just going to repeat this for the fifth time. I'm going to put that calculator that you can estimate your genetic growth potential, Mr. Butts calculation down below in the show notes. <laughs> also in there will be our research review. Again, this week we're talking about ashwagandha reviewing multiple studies and how that interacts with our bodies. Last week we did a big one on intermittent fasting, but that is also in the show notes as well. But Y'all know where to find us at fs.pod on Instagram, on TikTok, putting stuff for normal people on YouTube. Thank y'all so much. (laughs) Have a productive rest of your day as always. We will talk to you next time. Talk to you very soon. Bye.